This is episode 7 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today we're looking at articles that deal with preppers. Is it the time to let your guard down? How to use the moon to plan your gardening season? And six deer diseases. Is it safe to eat or dangerous? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Let's go ahead and get started. This first article comes to us from the Prepper Journal. And again, it's titled, Preppers, Now is Not the Time to Let Your Guard Down. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. There are many reasons why people start prepping. For me, I had growing a growing sense of the fragility of the social and economic fabric that weaves our daily systems together back in 2005. Call it a gut check that was caused by impulses I am still not even aware of the source, but I felt an urge to take steps to protect my family. From what? From all manner of normal everyday events and tragedies that affect people all over the world and have since the beginning of time. Fires, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, famine, disease, war, economic downturn, zombie invasion, pandemic, loss of job, drought, or flood. The list goes on and on, but I began a journey back then that continues almost without ending to this day to be prepared for just about anything that can happen. Many of my other prepper friends, though, seem to have hinged their motivation for prepping on a political urgency. Their own reasons for prepping stemmed almost directly from the recent political climate and actions taken by one political party or another. The fear of regulations or rules coming down from an abusive, tyrannical despot drove them to prepare for a loss of rights, confiscation of firearms, or riots in the streets. But after one election cycle, the urgency has waned for these preppers. The fear of gun confiscations is gone because one man left office and another woman failed to become his his successor. Now, instead of burning up the comments on many of the more popular prepping blogs out there calling for everyone to take steps now, it seems that so many preppers who were in full swing a year or two ago have relaxed and stopped worrying about the need to prepare. Has this happened to you? When you stop prepping. Now, don't get me wrong. My urgency to prepare has highs and lows, and I have myself gone through periods where I prepare with more vigor than other times. This can be for a lot of reasons. For some preps, I spend a little more money, and if the finances aren't where I'd like them, I scale back. The months before tax day usually slows slows things down in that respect. Other times, when I do have the finances and want to purchase some prepping supplies, I go after it a little more enthusiastically. Sales have a great way of motivating me too. But the difference is that I have never felt in the entire time I have been prepping that everything is okay, that I don't have anything to worry about and all that was wrong in the world has been repaired. Never, not even once. Perhaps some of that boils down to what I think some of the major problems are and what I am more concerned with. After the basic level of preparedness for life's curveballs, my big worry is economic collapse. That, to me, is the big one to get concerned about because trigger reasons aside, if that happens, we could easily see rioting, disease, mass death, wars, etc. Additionally, I have been slack in some of my everyday preparedness occasionally, and I end up smacking myself for letting my diligence slip, 
For example, we recently completed a trip out of state to see family. We, did, we didn't take my vehicle, which has a pretty complete vehicle survival kit and a lot of other supplies that would enable us to survive for a good while with nothing else. Instead, we had my wife's vehicle, which is less stocked. Usually, I would move everything over as I packed and make sure we were covered. This time, I was lazy, and although nothing happened to us on the road, I thought about the lack of supplies the entire trip. Some days, I leave the house without my concealed carry weapon, and I worry that this will be the day when I find out I needed it. Fortunately, that has never happened. There are minor fluctuations that happen to everyone based upon life. I haven't abandoned my other preps and I will redouble my efforts on my next out-of-town trip so that I am more prepared for whatever life throws my way. But some people think that just because one person won an election that the need to prepare is lessened, if not removed altogether. For those people who were prepping solely because of the political environment, they say as a threat the words coming from the new boss are different, more aligned to what they believe, their own principles and morals, so the urgency has gone away. Now is not the time to let your guard down. I wrote a post back in 2013 titled Misplaced Hope, The Futility in Picking Sides Politically, where I basically said my own personal beliefs is that it does not matter who is in charge politically in the grand scheme of things. Our government isn't truly representative anymore, and your interests are not placed above the interest of those in power. This doesn't change really no matter which side is in power, so believing that just because one side wins, all your problems are solved is folly. Your mileage may vary. To those preppers who think that now since the last election, our economic issues are over, that government will stop spying on people, that your freedom will increase, that the world as a whole will be a better place and people will start to reason and get along, those who think we will never have conflict with another country that our health and prosperity will continue forever, you've got to get your head out of the sand. The man behind the podium doesn't control the economy, the banks do. The deep state doesn't care who is in power because they don't have to answer to anyone, and besides, you freely give your privacy away to any one of a dozen of companies already. I could go on, but the point I am trying to make is that you shouldn't stop prepping because your team won the last big game. Things can change and one election doesn't alter the course of history typically. I maintain that each of us should keep our heads down, our eyes peeled, and continue to prepare. Maybe you spend less time arguing with people on Facebook, but your journey to preparedness shouldn't stop because you think the reasons you had for prepping has gone away. Elections happen every four years and even outside of that, major events happen that change things in the ways you could never have imagined. Look at 9-11 and what that did to our view of the world and outlook on many things. Surprises do still happen. So to all the preppers who stopped and all the new preppers from the other side who are just as worried now as some of us were before November 8th and who are now prepping with an urgency many on this side have lost, don't let your guard down. We should be prepared for anything. Don't let what is happening in the media from day to day dictate whether or not you are taking steps to protect your family. Look at the larger picture to history and keep making strides day by day to learn new skills, to set aside food and water, to get in shape, and obtain training you could need one day. Prepping is a marathon, not a sprint, and the race is far from over. Right. I have to definitely uh, agree with the article. Um, Definitely, you never want to stop prepping. And just because the, the, the politics of it... 
Um, politics looks like you know it's headed your way. That's definitely not a reason to stop. So I'm very much in agreement with this. You know, one of the things is during a crisis situation, um, it's not going to matter if you're Republican, Democrat. It's not going to remember. It's not going to matter any of that stuff. What's going to matter is surviving. People surviving, and so you're going to have that common that common thread, that common ground. But definitely, um, you know, there's been a lot of other articles, articles before. I know that I've linked to them on Prepper website before I started the podcast uh, that uh, that are saying the same thing. So uh, hopefully, if you're one of those that has kind of slacked off a little bit, um, you know, th- the best thing to do is always to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. You have to know where you're going. If you're just just going to the store and randomly buying things and dumping things into some kind of storage or whatever, that's not the way to prep. You definitely need a plan. And, and you know what? I'll link to um, the tag cloud on Prepper website uh, with the, the plan or plans. And there's a lot of good things there to consider. So uh, I'll definitely link to that. In uh, you can find that in the episode. Uh, in the episode uh, notes on prepper, uh, the prepper website podcast.com. And again, you want to visit the website. You want to uh, visit prepper journal because there are a lot of links there um, that you can click on and, and things that you can visit. All right. So let's go ahead and move on going to the next article. This is uh, at uh, the survival mom, uh, Lisa Bedford's uh, website. And the title of this article is how to use the moon to plan your gardening season. Very interesting, something I think everyone should uh, have some form of idea and uh, some good advice here. So let's get started. Uh, Your best prepper resource may be hanging in the sky every night, the moon. If you're a gardener, getting to know the moon in all its phases might give your garden a boost every season. The worst case scenario that I try to prepare for is a long-term power grid failure. To help me prepare, I've learned to garden, cook over a fire, and how to tell basic weather signs. However, when it comes to gardening, I've been planting using the first and last frost dates on the calendar. But in a long-term power outage, we might just lose track of time, days, and seasons. How will I decide when to plant if I'm not sure what day it is? Simple. I'll look to the moon. Learn the moon cycles. I am fairly sure that starting a journal to note events, weather, stars, and the moon cycle will be something I start on day one of a power outage. At some point, if the power outage lasts a long time, I will probably lose track of what day it is exactly if I don't keep a journal. Noting the moon phases will help me know a lot about when to guard in case I don't know the exact last frost date. The moon is constantly changing but still has a very predictable cycle. There are 12 to 13 full moons per year occurring every 28 to 30 days. In the days before electricity, many cultures would give each moon a different name based on the season and nature cycles happening at that time of the year. Old timers have long known the importance of observing nature for help with predicting weather. According to the Old Farmer's Almanac, Native Americans in North America named the moons as part of their calendar. Different tribes had different methods for keeping track of the moon cycles and seasons, but still used these observations to track growing seasons, animal behavior, and more. Many years later, several names of the moons were incorporated into the colonial settlers' calendar when they settled on the continent. The Old Farmer's Almanac website says, The full, full moon names, this is quote, The full moon names we use in the almanac come from the Algonquin 
tribes who lived in regions from New England to Lake Superior. They are the names the colonial Americans adopted most. Note that each full moon name was applied to the entire lunar month in which it occurred. In, end quote. So, uh, sorry if I uh, just butchered that uh, Native American tribe name there. Um, so con continuing on, here are the commonly accepted names of those full moons. Wolf moon for January. Wolves would typically howl at the moon most of this time of year. Snow hunger moon for February. Most snow fell at this time, which made hunting and gathering food difficult. Worm sap moon for March. Worms and sap started appearing at this time as spring starts arriving. Pink sprouting grass egg fish moon for April. The first pink spring flowers and grasses appear. Chickens start laying eggs and fish can be found at this time. Flower corn planting milk moon for May. Spring flowers are in bloom and it's time to start milking animals and planting corn. Strawberry rose hot moon for June. This is the time of year to pick strawberries and roses, but it starts getting hot. Buck thunder moon for July. Bucks are growing antlers at this time and there are often frequent thunderstorms. Sturgeon green corn moon August. The Native Americans would find lots of sturgeon at this time in Lake Superior and the corn is green at this point in time. Corn barley harvest moon for September. This is the harvest time of year. Note, the harvest moon can be in September or October, depending on which months puts the full moon closest to the autumnal equinox. So, continuing on with the moons. Hunters travel dying moon for October. The leaves are falling off the trees or dying, and game is fattened and ready to be hunted, which can require travel. Beaver frost moon for November. Frost usually occurs at this time and the Native Americans would set beaver traps at this time to be able to catch them during winter. Cold long nights moon for December. It goes without saying that this time of year is cold and full of long dark nights. There's two special moons of note. The blue moon. A blue moon is the second full moon that occurs in a calendar month. And the black moon. A black moon is the second new moon occurring in a calendar month. By keeping track of the full moons and knowing their names, you can have a good guess as to what is going on during that time of the year where you live. For example, if I start noting that the worms are becoming active again, the full moon around that time is probably the March moon. In my area, that is the time to start seeds indoors for peppers and tomato plants. Two to three full moons after that, May, June, would be time to plant. It might be a good idea to find out what Native Americans in your area called the various full moons as nature cycles are much different in Arizona than Minnesota. Plan your garden with help from the moon. During the gardening season, the moon can also be used to help with knowing when to plant. The first two quarters of the moon's phases after a full moon are the waning phase where light decreases. The other phases are the waxing phases where the moon light, moon's light increases. The moon also affects the gravitational pull and tides, so the argument is that the full moon also affects the water in the soil by drawing it up, helping with germination. The moon does affect groundwater tables, so the best time to turn over the dirt in your garden would be at the new moon when the water table is at its lowest. Dr. Frank Brown of Northwestern University performed, I'm sorry, this is a quote. Dr. Frank Brown of Northwestern University performed research over a 10-year period 
His findings were plants absorbed more water at the time of the full moon, according to the Ohio State University Extension website. He conducted his experiments in a laboratory without direct contact with the moon, yet he still found that the plants were influenced by, its phase, by the phases, end quote. The Old Farmer's Almanac suggests that root vegetables and bulb flowers be planted during the waning phases, as this time period has decreasing light from the moon. Above ground crops and other flowers be planted during the waxing phases, as this time period has an increasing light for the moon. Here is the easiest way to plant by the moon. Number one, find your zone and your last frost date for the spring. I'm, I'm in zone six and our last frost date is around May 15th. For the farmer's almanac, I'm between areas two and three. Number two, find the moon cycle for that time of the year. There is a full moon on May 10th and June 9th this year. The new moon is May 25th and June 23rd. Number three, make a gardening plan. From the new moon to full moon, that's May 25th to June 9th, is the time to plant seeds for plants that produce crops above ground, such as peas, peppers, spinach, tomatoes, cucumbers, and asparagus. These plants are helped by the pool of water up in the soil for germination and more light from the moon during this period. From the new moon to the full moon, June 9th to the 23rd, is the best time to plant root vegetables like carrots, onions, and potatoes, along with bulb flowers. These plants do better with a lower water level in the soil and less light from the moon. A shortcut way is to consult the farmer's almanac, which has a list that breaks down each plant individually and when it is best to plant it according to the moon's phases by area. I recommend the purchase of this book since it has detailed charts that will help you make specific gardening plans. Use this chart to help you plan your garden. Click to download and print. So there is a moon phase calendar uh, for 2017. Uh, you can click on it and it will blow up into a, or it will download into a PDF. And so you can uh, download, download that one easily. Um, continuing on, I have not used this method yet, but I plan to this year. I plan to take copious notes this year with my gardening journal. I want to note the phases of the moon as I plant and harvest to see how well it works. I've made my fair share of gardening mistakes, which I detailed in this humbling article. There are many websites out there that can tell you how different people use the moon as their guide to planting. If you find one for your area, make sure to print it out and put it in your gardening journal or reference information. It would be good to teach the information to your children as well. We've lost many tips and tricks for surviving hard times because they haven't been passed down through the generations. The moon will always be there though. Have you ever planted by the moon? Is it something you would want to try this year? So um, definitely you want to, good information, and definitely you want to go and check that out. There's that PDF again, the, the lunar cycle, and then a lot of other links uh, to the Farmer's uh, Almanac website and other articles and information that you can get there on uh, the Survival Moms website. So let's go ahead and continue on with our last one. This is kind of... Uh, you're going to want to, unless you're kind of uh, have a squeamish stomach, you're going to definitely want to hit the next website just to kind of check out um, what, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these diseases because it's, it's coming to us from sheepdogman.com. And uh, Justin over there uh, has written an article called Six Deer Diseases, Is It Safe to Eat or Dangerous? And uh, so, again, like I said, you're going to want to, uh, you know, unless you have a squeamish, you know, stomach and you can't, can't handle it, but you want to just go check it out and just 
uh, look at these pictures. I mean, they, they really tell you a lot. So let's uh, let's get started on this one, right? Dear Diseases, there's not much that I enjoy more than firing up the barbecue on a cold winter day and grilling some tasty deer or elk backstrap. Booyah, man food. Okay, everybody food. But what if one of the deer diseases has infested the meat? Is it safe to eat? Here's a quick and dirty overview of six deer diseases and what symptoms to look for when harvesting your next animal. Warning, some of the images on this page might be disturbing. First, let's look at those which are safe to consume. Chronic wasting disease, or CWD. This is safe. Chronic wasting disease, also known as CWD, is a growing concern in the United States. This disease is similar to mad cow disease in that it affects the host's brain. Chronic wasting disease attacks the brain of deer, moose, elk, and other species of the deer family. The, this disease causes the animal to lose bodily functions before killing the deer altogether. Look for these symptoms. The appearance of starvation, excessive drooling, lack of coordination. Even though this disease is fatal to deer, it has not been proven to be harmful to humans. This map shows the distribution of chronic wasting disease in North America. So you definitely want to go and, and kind of check it out. Uh, you have this, um, uh, this, this map here that will kind of point it out for you where uh, this wasting disease is uh, most prominent. All right, uh, continuing on. Next one is deer warts or cutaneous fib fibromass. This is safe. Deer warts is probably the most easily noticeable disease, which is large and rather grotesque features on the skin. These warts are the animal's way of responding to a cut or abrasions that gets infected. Therefore, this disease is most common in bucks as they like to fight for females in territory. Deer warts can also be the results of an insect bite. The meat of a deer with warts is safe, however. One should stay away from the infected tumors as they are not suitable for human consumption. Okay, still kind of, uh, kind of weird when you think about it. Nasty. Next one, mange. And this is, I mean, just thinking about mange, and you've seen probably dogs with mange. But uh, is a deer safe? And uh, yes, it is safe. So mange is a skin disease caused by mites known as Demodex odysocoli. I think I've definitely butchered that one. Sorry. It causes the deer to lose hair and is often accompanied by the thickening of the skin in the affected areas. Pus-filled lesions are not an uncommon sight with a mange-infected deer. Mange is only a skin disease and does not affect the meat of the animal. Next one. Blue tongue virus, or BTV, and episodic hemorrhagic disease, EHD, unsafe. Blue tongue virus is, a found, is found primarily in white-tailed deer, but can also be found in other species as well. This disease can be fatal to humans, but is more of just a nuisance to the animal. BTV by itself is not harmful to humans. However, avoid meat infected by BTV in combination with any other disease. According to the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife, Quote, the viruses that cause hemorrhagic disease do not infect humans and people will not contract these diseases from eating meat from infected animals. Deer with hemorrhagic disease may be more susceptible to other diseases, however, and consumption, consumption of a sick-looking animal is not advised. Symptoms of blue tongue virus. A distinctively blue tongue, hence the name, excessive drooling, 
weight loss, swelling of the neck, facial area, and tongue, hoof uh, dif deformations, and fever. And now the disease which requires caution or not safe to consume. Brain abscesses exercise caution. This disease occurs when bacteria enters the body near the brain of the deer. Once the bacterium has infected the brain, the abscesses begin to grow and contaminates all meat from the animal. This infection causes the animal to lose its sight as well as other bodily functions. This disease is predominantly more common in bucks because of fighting in annual antler shed. Symptoms. Walking in circles. Blindness. Paralysis. Losing the fear of humans. According to the National Wildlife Health Center, quote, meat, of animal, meat of animal is safe. Prevent contact with abscess and contamination of carcass. Wear protective gloves when removing antlers for trophy use. Discard gloves along with head and replace with new gloves if further handling processing of animal is to occur. Uh, end quote. Source, uh, and then there's a link to the source there. Okay, uh, just nasty picture there, just FYI. All right, continuing on. Bullet wound infections. Exercise caution. Similar to brain abscesses, bullet wounds can cause deer to form an abscess in the affected area. Over time, bacteria enters through the entry wound and infects the surrounding area. Do not consume the affected meat of an animal with a past wound, with a past wound of a projectile. Additional safety tips. There are a few ways to keep you and your equipment safe when hunting and harvesting game. First, experts say to sanitize your knives after each use with a half water and half bleach solution. Second, wear gloves while field dressing your game. Gloves will protect you from exposure to infected areas. Lastly, do not eat the organs of the infected animal. Most diseases exist in the organs of the animal. If in doubt, take the infected carcass to fish and game and get another tag. Harvest inspection tips. Here is some advice from the USGS National Wildlife Health Center. Quote, at the time of harvest, thoroughly inspect the outside of the carcass. External exam. Do the hair, coat, feathers, or other body covering look healthy? Is the animal in good body condition or is it very thin or emaciated? Are abnormal conditions present such as growths, deformities, or injuries? Are there other signs of illnesses such as evidence of diarrhea, abnormal looking or soft stool adhered to the vent area? Internal exam. How does a carcass smell? Do any of the tissue or organs appear irregular or abnormal in shape or color? Do any of the tissue or organs appear to contain abscesses? Are there any tissues or organs that contain what appear to be parasites? Use all of, use all of your senses to, when examining a carcass. Bad odors generally arise from rotting tissue, perhaps from an old injury that has abscess. However, the spillage of intest intestinal tract content into the body cavity during removal or from rupture during harvest may also be the source of such odor. The food source of the animal may also result in strong odors that are not an indication of disease. Cedar, sagebrush, and bivalves, man that just doesn't sound right, mussels, sorry, are examples of foods consumed by wildlife that may make them smell odd, but do not represent potential human health hazards. The appearance of internal organs and tissues is often compromised by damage during the harvest of the animal and may be difficult to evaluate. 
However, the appearance of abscesses, fungal growth, and tumors within the body cavity should generally result in the rejection of the carcass for consumption. End quote. Well, that's a wrap on deer disease. If you found this article helpful, please be sure to share it with your friends. Additional resources for more in-depth information on wildlife food safety, download this excellent free guide from the National Wildlife Health Center, Is This Safe to Eat? All right, so um, again, there are some reasons to, to visit Sheepdog uh, Man to definitely uh, check out the, the pictures if you, if you uh, can handle that. Um, and also that, um, that, that ebook that you want to download or that guide and that you can kind of look over and keep that with you. But uh, anyway, a lot of good stuff. Again, like I said, I always recommend that you go visit the websites. You can always get the link to the websites on uh, the episode show notes on theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. So that's it for this episode. Uh, with all the butchering of names and everything, I didn't even have any medical, right? A lot of medical names uh, on that one. But anyway, so before I go, if I can ask for that huge favor, if you're finding value in the in the podcast, if you can go to the podcast network where you're downloading this from, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, we're on TuneIn now, um, and Google Play, we're on a lot of networks. If you can uh, give us a review, that'd be great, and that'd be very, very helpful. And um, to make it easy for you, I've got uh, links on the website, theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. I also have links to all our social media. And so if you uh, want to share this out with your friends, that's again, that's greatly appreciated as well. Uh, word of mouth, it's, it's greatly appreciated as well, uh, too, in just getting that information out. Um, trying to, you know, put out some more content out there for the preparedness community and just another way to learn and to grow and to, and to just kind of be a blessing to you guys out there. And uh, so, again, don't forget to drop by the prepperwebsitepodcast.com and drop me a line or two. Uh, and you can connect with me there on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So we'll be back tomorrow with uh, more great articles to share. And if you just can't wait to get to more preparedness, make sure that you hit uh, prepperwebsite.com for articles. We update, we update that daily with new links and uh, great articles out there. All right, so until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.